Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder of Project Purple, and today we're on the phone with a special guest, Lana Hofschneider from Nebraska. Lana, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners at home, um, I'll give my backstory really quick, and then Lana, I'm going to ask you to tell us your story. But uh, we met two years ago at our walk in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you came with your family. Um, you were going through the pancreatic cancer process and uh, just was amazing to have survivors there at our walk. And I didn't know that you were coming ahead of time. I think I may have kind of got caught wind of it, uh, but then meeting you there at the walk. And then again, this June, uh, we had mm-hmm. you, you came with your whole family and it was just really cool. I think the, the special moment and the special sauce in what we do here. I think was evident this year in the Lincoln Walk where we had three survivors on World Cancer Survivor Day. It just happened to be that day and uh, just really, really special that you guys were actually able to uh, cut the ribbon, which was the start of the walk. So uh, it was just really awesome to have you there. It was great to be there. It's a special event. And um, yeah, that was that was a neat day. So for our listeners at home, why don't uh, you give as much or as little as I said prior to coming on the air of your background, like, you know, a little bit about your life if you want, and then talk about, you know, your diagnosis with pancreatic cancer, and then we can kind of fast forward to where we are today. Okay, sure. Um, well, I am a, a farm wife in the middle of Nebraska and um, in my 40s and uh, have three elementary age kids. And two years ago at this time was just um, going through the busy life as normal and started not feeling well, um, mostly nausea. And then I had some other um, symptoms, I guess, uh, like itchy skin and and some other strange things. I didn't really know what was going on and went to my doctor just to get that um, checked out and see what his thoughts might be. And after taking some blood tests, found that my liver enzymes were high. And so I um, had an ultrasound done where they found that my bile duct was plugged and some issues with my gallbladder. So I went in that week and had my gallbladder removed, and they were thinking it was maybe a gallstone plugging my bile duct. Well, during surgery, they found out that it was not a gallstone. And uh, the prior or the week after that, then I went in for an ERCP, and they discovered... Um, they thought it was at that time maybe bile duct cancer, later to find out it was pancreatic cancer. Um, they put in a stent at that time to help relieve the nauseousness, which did help. Um, and then I had to do another test to confirm um, pancreatic cancer and see exactly where it was at. And this all, um, I was diagnosed the Wednesday before Christmas of 2016. So that was a, a rough time of year, but... Um, to you know have that kind of information shared i was actually in the hospital for pancreatitis um, as a result of the ercp which was a big bummer (laughs) but uh, a blessing at the same time to be in the hospital surrounded by doctors and people who could help me navigate um, the pancreatic cancer news and get things in place to find a 
a surgeon um, that could do the Whipple and connect me um, with the people I needed to get the help I needed. So a couple questions here. So when you had these symptoms, no, did you go, I mean, naturally we all go to our general practitioner first, right? So is that where you went to? Yep. And, and so was yep. there ever a conversation prior to the removal of the gallbladder of pancreatic cancer? Um, the, both the surgeon and my general practitioner said, you know, there's a small chance that this could be cancer. They kind of threw the possibility out there, but it was, you don't really fit any of of the pieces of it because mm -hmm. due to my age and um, gender and overall health, I had no other prior issues. I do have some um, cancer in my family, not pancreatic cancer though. Um, so they they said there's a small chance it could be that, but weren't really concerned that that was the case. And I hadn't lost any weight. I think that was one of the, the kickers they had said, you know, had I lost a lot of weight recently and I hadn't. And I wasn't jaundiced at all yet. So you know, a couple of those big symptoms I, I didn't have at that point. And um, I caught it very early. So I was a stage one. Wow. And I think that was a big part of it was, you know, some of those things hadn't happened yet. It's just, I, I bring the question up because, you know, talking to so many survivors and fighters, you know, it seems, you know, for our listeners at home, this is really important. I think that everyone is different and the symptoms are seem so vague like itchy skin and nausea right. I mean you know that could be eczema it could be you right. know dietary you could have eaten something or it could be even something your clothes get washed in different detergent and your skin has a reaction to it right and right. so um, and I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus it's just something that um, I've always said you know by time patients get to an oncologist in terms of what we are trying to do to raise awareness and raise education of the disease, it's kind of too late at that point in terms of educating the you know the the public right. and also the medical community. And that's where I always feel like general practitioners are that front line, the yes. doctors that have to recognize even as vague as these symptoms are, but have that question in the back of their mind that hmm, okay, itchy skin, nausea, yeah, those are you know somewhat maybe symptoms of pancreatic cancer potentially that might be the case let's you know the, the challenge though problem the problem is and the challenge that we have today in the medical community is we don't have a test right so it's not like right. PSA for prostate or breast has a mammogram where if you have symptoms they can do a, an imaging test or they can do a blood test and they can find out things a lot quicker than they can with the pancreas because there is no um, test or early detection tool. So it's frustrating and I understand, I've talked to many general practitioners and they are great, a lot of them are great, they do their job, um, but I know yeah. their frustration is as well as like it's such a vague symptom to say this, whereas you said like you weren't jaundiced, you didn't lose weight, and those are typically the two main ones that are kind of like, all right, that's a, that's a done deal, you have something going on with your pancreas. So it's just fascinating right. to hear you say that, like that you didn't have those symptoms and it was so vague. And it's fascinating to me though, Lana, that you were stage one, you know, and that's like the yeah. awesome, you know, part of this is that, you know, th that you do, you were symptomatic and they found it at a stage one. Cause usually when people are symptomatic, it's a little bit farther along its course. So uh, that's, that's an amazing right. thing. And I do feel thankful that they, I feel like they moved very quickly with it yeah and I, I know that's not always the case but um you know between from the time that I first met with my doctor you know I'm a, that was a Monday I got my gallbladder out on a Friday the next week I was 
doing tests for cancer and diagnosed and met with the surgeon the following week. So it was a very quick process once they started, you know, pieces unraveled, they were in tune and didn't waste any time getting me to the next step, which, you know, I didn't realize at the time how crucial that was because it was all a, you know, shock, but thank you for that. It's super critical. And I, I think, you know, that's great to hear that you, they were able to move you through that process because I know many families don't experience that, unfortunately. And that's not to say that the system is broke. I just think, you know, sometimes right. you just have to advocate. And, you know, there's some great doctors in Nebraska. I'm biased a bit because we've donated a lot of money back in the sure. state of Nebraska, yeah. but there is really a, an emphasis. And I know um, the guys at University of Nebraska Medical Center, which we've worked with a lot, work a lot within the community with the other hospitals and physicians and clinicians throughout the state to really kind of raise the awareness for the disease. Absolutely. So I want to go back. So you get this diagnosis Christmas of 2016. um, And I'm sure Christmas was awful that year given this prognosis. So what was then the next step? Um, The confusion at that point was, um, do you do the Whipple first or do chemo first? And um, sorting through you know, where do you go for that, and what are the key pieces, and, you know, finding the, what we were being told was finding a surgeon that does a lot of Whipples, um, and then also, you know, determining at what point do you do that, so um, we met with the surgeon at UNMC um, that was referred to us by where I was at in Lincoln, and um, visited with him, and, and he took a look at my case, and then referred me to an oncologist because, um, you know, new information at that time was that uh, chemo before surgery surgery had been found um, to be helpful. So he did connect me to an oncologist and got my port put in and started on Tulferinox. And um, then as that shrunk the tumor away from uh, one of the arteries, it was a little too close to an artery, then, then I had the Whipple. So I... You know, I didn't know what was supposed to happen next, but was led through that process while um, of getting started and and getting chemo started right away. So, were you? How did you tolerate Flufluronox? Because this is a, a a wide debate, not a debate, mm-hmm. but a, actually a conversation I had last night with some folks about that particular treatment. And you know, some people I know do. F- okay. I wouldn't say great. Uh, life's not mm-hmm. great on it. And then other people just cannot tolerate it for what's, I mean, they do one or two rounds of Lefronox and then the, you know, they, they just, it becomes so toxic and they just have to get off of it. Sure. It's uh, not fun. That's no. for sure. Um, but I tolerated it. Okay. I guess it felt like, you know, for the week I would get chemo, I was pretty much wiped out that week. And then I would have, you know, three or four days the following week where I felt pretty normal right before you go back in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I did have, you know, the one that you take home in the, in the, the bag for a couple yeah. days and then get, um, get that taken off. I had a lot of the, the side effects and, you know, the first time it's very confusing because you don't know what to expect and what's normal or, or not normal. Um, the medication they gave me to help with the side effects was helpful, but um, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. I did have some reactions during getting chemo, um, you know, some allergic type of reactions where I'd get Benadryl or 
whatever, but I just learned, and they had to kind of harp on me a little bit to make sure and tell the nurses when something doesn't feel right because they, you know, are really tuned in and have things they can do to help you, not just to go through thinking this is just part of it, but to let them help with the side effects. Yeah. And I had um, eight rounds of it. And then surgery. And then surgery, yep. And then post-surgery, did you go back for more chemotherapy? I did. I went back, um, but not full, full, with full Theranox. It was um, gemcitabine, or I can't even think what they are. Gemzarboxine? Yes. Yep. And cap, capcitabine? Cap, yep. Okay. One was a pill and one was um, an infusion. So I yep. did do that for eight rounds after surgery to help with um, any cleanup. Correct. That was much more tolerable than Fulferinox, but it did um, that my blood count. I did have to, um, I think that was supposed to be every other week, and I had to spread it out. Or no, I was supposed to go three weeks in a row and one off. I had to end up spreading it out a little more because my blood levels were Your white blood. taking a hit. Yep. So you went through the eight rounds post, and then you were given uh, a clean bill of health. Yes, given a had a clean uh, CT scan and um, released, basically. And I said, really? Now what? <laughs> now what do you do? And the, and the nurse said, go live. <laughs> yeah. Because it just becomes such a part of your life that, you know, and almost becomes your safety net to be in that process that you feel like, I don't know how to function now outside of this, but I do still go back every three months for a blood work and CT scan. Um, and I still have my port. They decide to leave that in for, I believe, a month. So hopefully soon I will be getting that out. But I do appreciate that they stay on top of surveillance to make sure that, that we're staying clean. So now did you do your treatment at UNMC or you did your surgery there and then you did treatment elsewhere in Lincoln or did you do everything at UNMC? I decided to do everything up there. I just felt comfortable that they all were working together and um, with the research that they do, I just kept it all up there. It's an easy trip to get up to Omaha for me to do the chemotherapy and where I was having some side effects during it. I, I uh, felt good that, you know, I could see my oncologist that day, then go get chemotherapy and it, it worked really well. But yes, I did do it all at UNC. Well, you just said something that I think is very important uh, for our listeners is home and, and being not in the backyard of Omaha and having to drive a bit. Um, which is not a bad ride, but I think I've always advocated to patients if they can get to a major medical center and something that you said, you know, having the oncologist there, the nurses and everything in the same on the same floor now with the new facility. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of work yeah. at UNMC uh, with the pancreatic cancer team and what they've been able to do there now is really state of the art where um, patients come in on one end you know, into the clinic, into um, infusion, and, you know, if they need to stay over, then the, the rooms are right there. But then you have the research yep. and the scientists and the surgeons all on the other side of the elevators, all on the same floor. Yeah. So it's it's accessible, there's collaboration, and it's just really, they're doing something special there. I know there's a couple other facilities around the country that are modeled similarly. And, okay. uh, you know, it's, it's really phenomenal to see, but it's great to hear you know, and that's something that we do stress. So for our listeners at home and, and, you know, we help facilitate these kinds of things. And, you know, there's a couple other groups that can help people get to these major medical centers. And, and to go back to what you said, if things 
that day didn't look good, your oncologist is right there. I think that is so critical because this is what these people do day in, day out. They're dealing with pancreatic cancer and there's some super talented oncologists not to throw anyone under the bus or put anyone down. But I think this disease is so unique and it's so different Mm -hmm. that a generalist is not necessarily going to see things go in the different direction that a specialist with this disease in oncology can be mm-hmm. apt to address and change. And, you know, that's a game changer. That's totally a game yeah. changer. So I'm glad to hear that. And uh, that's awesome. They, they've got a great staff there and they're doing some great, great things there. We've played a big part in it. And I was just yeah. at an event actually last night in New York City. Uh, believe it or not, a bunch of people from Omaha came to New York. Oh, <laughs> I got awesome. invited. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny in the room. Lana, I, I, I was just telling the staff here earlier, um, you know, you had a bunch of New York folks and then you had a bunch of Omaha folks and it was just so cool. <laughs> and I, I, you know, you have you, you're born and raised in Nebraska? Yeah, yeah. I've been there, I don't know, I, I, I'm probably going on like 40 trips over the last oh, wow. four years. Um, I'm probably there once a quarter. And I've got to tell you, for our listeners at home, who have never been to Nebraska, uh, it is something special. Um, make a trip, go on vacation. The, <laughs> the people are, no, you're laughing, but people are <laughs> some of the nicest, most genuine, friendly, oh. real people that I've met in my life, I've met in Nebraska. And uh, it's okay. probably the way that life should be, um, you know, in terms of pace and honesty and how people treat other yeah. people. Uh, but it's a really special place, and and uh, it's it's just awesome. So it was it was fascinating to see, like you know, he had Nebraska and, and New York collide oh, last night. Combo. In, yeah, in New York City, which was kind of funny, but great stuff. And they are the point is they're doing some amazing things. That program there is world renowned. Dr. Hollingsworth, who is on the the research yeah. side, and you've got Dr. Grimm, you've got Dr. Clutie, and they're bringing yeah. in some other oncologists. You've got great surgeons there, Dr. Lee. I don't know who did your surgery, but um, you've got a couple other on the team there as well. So uh, yeah. they're doing some really, really amazing things there. And the country's on notice. Like people are seeing this happen. So it's great that you have the ability to get access to that great quality care. I agree. We felt fortunate to have that so close. And then they have a facility out at Village Point, which is out towards the west end of Omaha. So that's very accessible and nice and new. That's where I went um, for chemotherapy. And actually, when I was there for my Whipple, was the same time that they opened the Buffett Cancer Center. So I didn't get transferred over there, but they did take me over to see it, which was really, really neat. Yeah, the new that new cancer center is unbelievable. I've I've had a tour yeah. and uh, the the chapel there, the Chihuly Chapel, is like world renowned artist who builds yeah. this chapel at, at the hospital, and it's just it gorgeous. is yeah, it's peaceful, gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. you have world renowned, you have a world renowned artist who did custom work, and it's one of a kind, and it's right there at the yeah. cancer center for everyone to take advantage of. So it's it's really something special. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Through all this process, and I, I think I might know the answer, did you do? Did they do genetic testing for you? Um, I have met with a genetic um, counselor, and we discussed the thought process of deciding whether to do that or not. I have not gone through it yet, but he said I would be a candidate mm-hmm. um, because I do have some um, breast cancer history in my family and some other 
abdominal cancer, mm-hmm. and I just have not um, decided to do that yet. I just ask because I know that there's a lot going on um, understanding the genetic makeup of a lot of these tumors and pancreatic cancer being one of them. So, um, you know, there's a big push on knowing your tumor across the board on all cancers. And I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating is that we are starting to understand from a scientific standpoint that a lot of these cancers, even though they, you know, pancreatic cancer is pancreatic cancer are very different from each other because of the genetic markings and the genetic Mm -hmm. makeup of the the cancer tumors. Um, And I know that's been something that we've talked a lot about on these podcasts is the genetic testing, because it seems like I think a lot of facilities across the country are are starting to lean towards that because they know certain things about certain genetics components that uh, affect cancers and also chemotherapy treatments that affect certain genetic makeups of certain tumors. So I was just kind of interested sure. to, to, to see if you had gone through that. So you go through this experience. How has this, I'll call it pancreatic cancer, PC, how has it changed your life? Like if you had to look back, I mean, it's easy. I guess hindsight's always twenty twenty. they say. But if you look back, like what are some of the, the things that maybe are bad and some of the things that are good about this experience, if there are good things about this experience. Absolutely. There's a lot of great things that have come out of it that I'm amazed by um, how how things um, good things can come out of bad things and how um, I'm a, a Christian faith-filled woman, and that has just even deepened my faith. And um, when you choose to see the miracles, there are a lot of amazing miracles that happened throughout the process, clear from the beginning. And it's just neat to um, be able to watch that unfold and look back and see more of those pieces. Um, It's really changed my perspective on life. There are things that used to bother me that that don't bother me anymore because you just um, you know, different things are important, and you realize what what really is important, and, and um, what to spend your energy on. Because when when it gets down to the basics, and you don't have spare energy when you go through this kind of diagnosis and treatment, um, and you really have to save it for what's important, you really realize you know things that you wasted energy on before, and um, you know the relationships in your life the importance of those with my spouse and kids and parents and, and community. Um, I'm from a small town in Nebraska, and there's always, you know, small town issues. But, wow, when you go through something like this, we were just blown away by the support of our community and, and church family and school family. It's just amazing to experience just all the miracles. And when you choose to set your mind right going through it, because, you know, you can really drag yourself down and get in a in a dark pit if you allow this to, but you can also choose not to. And not that it's easy or never depressing, um, but I think the strength of mind and strength of heart and soul is really key uh, to getting through it. So on that note, and, I, and you just said something that's really poignant. I mean, I, this disease is super negative, right? And that's one thing I think I always tell families, like, avoid the internet. Because statistically, you go on the internet and everything is negative, but it's that's the reality of it, right? So, right. What were some of the coping mechanisms or some of the tools, maybe is a better term, that you used 
to keep that faith. And I know you said, you know, Christian faith, like that's important. So your faith in God, um, mm-hmm. you know, are, were there other tools? Was it books? Was it, you know, I, I know we've talked to survivors and, you know, one guy said, you know, my mindset before I got cancer was like, I took everything one hour, well, one minute, one hour, one day at a time. And that, that's how he mm-hmm. lived his life before. And he was a fireman before. So he knew like, hey, when he left in the morning, he may not come back at the end of the day to see his family. Mm-hmm. And that's how he lived his life. And then when he got pancreatic cancer, he's like, all right, he just took that same mental approach to that. Um, so were there tools you know, that you had maybe or mindset that you had before that you just enhanced when you got this diagnosis? Or were there things along this journey um, that, you know, helped you get through this? Um, I actually really kind of had to change something because I tend to be a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get this, you really can't control much. But I tried to figure out what I could control. But then I also realized and came to grips with what I could not control and had to get okay with that and know and trust that God was in control of it and and that that's okay no matter what happened or how this went he was in control and it was all going to be fine regardless of how the turnout was or what happened along the way so to let go of that control um but yet still you know do what I could and do my part one thing that I did find very helpful for me is I love music so I made myself a war room playlist on my phone that had um songs of hope um uplifting songs comforting songs that I would turn to especially on the nights when I couldn't sleep or on my way to chemo to get my mind strong I had some songs that were that really spoke to me in those specific times that I would listen to that really filled filled my mind with the messages I wanted to latch on to. And that really helped me through a lot of the tougher times um, through this. I did go out on the internet some. There are some like Whipple and Pancreatic Cancer support pages in Facebook that I would go to. Um, I just have to warn, sometimes those are helpful, sometimes they are not. So yep. there were times I had to... Um, uncheck them and not be part of them that I, I couldn't at that point handle it. But then there were also times it was helpful to get information or know that I wasn't alone and that kind of thing, but to be smart about it. That's uh that's pretty powerful stuff. I think, you know, what you said first was control what you can and God has a plan mm-hmm. is so powerful. And, you know, uh, I think as a parent myself, <laughs> I talk mm-hmm. to my wife a lot about, you know, with our children and just in life and what we've experienced, you know, that that's so on point. And the music thing is so amazing because I know for me as a runner, you know, I was just putting together a playlist for our New York City Marathon team and, you know, finding uplifting, you know, motivating music and and that it's amazing and everyone's different, but if it works for you, you know, I think you have to embrace it, like you said. And I think that's just so cool and so so awesome that you shared that. I think that's a great idea. You know, if people are into music to pick songs that really bring you up and, mm-hmm. you know, controlling again, what you can control with those chat rooms and, and Facebook um, groups that, you know, are out there, which are good. I agree with you. Right. I, I think everyone is different, you know, and I, I think you have to 
I think go back to what you said, control what you can and you can control what you take in. Um, right. you know, and everyone has a right to their own opinion. And that's uh, that's great stuff for sharing. I want to shift you. some gears here because you have a young family and I will, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. when we began the podcast, meeting you last year and your kids were there last year and then mm-hmm. they were there again this year and your daughter came running up to the table and uh, she's cute as can be, and and you know, and I knew it was your daughter. She asked for something, and I was like, oh, okay, that's 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 uh, Lana's daughter. And I was like, that's that's so amazing that you're doing well. But how has the family? How did it affect the family? And how did you deal with that? Oh boy, that was probably the hardest part. The thought of leaving my kids without a mom. Sorry, that's okay. So that was the toughest part was accepting that, that that possibility, yet helping them through it. And, um, excuse me, uh, I'm very thankful for the school that they attend. The teachers and their classmates were very supportive and helpful, um, you know, when they were having bad days and just supporting them through the process. Um, they are incredibly strong kids, and I, I know that going through this, increase their faith, increase their strength and their perspective. Um, I just can't imagine what this was like for them to go through it at their ages, especially. Um, my youngest was in kindergarten um, when I was diagnosed. So, you know, kind of that at tender ages a little, but yet old enough to understand, you know, something serious. In fact, here's kind of a little story The when I was in, ho- in the hospital, with pancreatitis, I got out of the hospital on Christmas Eve, and my kids were in the Christmas Eve program at church that night. So that was my motivation was to get out of the hospital so I could go see them in the program. And my oldest um, had one of the lead parts in the program that night. And I just thought, wow, for her to be able to get up and do this tonight after the week we've had shows some incredible strength of character. And it just continued from there. They still, you know, each of them handled it in their own different way and would have different times where it was really hard for them. And we just worked our way through it as best as we could. And now the, the beautiful part is they can support others going through this. A good friend of mine was just diagnosed with breast cancer this last year. And her kids go to school with my kids and they've been able to understand what it's like to go through that and be there for other kids already, uh, which I hate they have to do that. (laughs) But what a neat opportunity um, and a blessing to be able to be there for someone else. That's pretty special. And thank you for sharing that with us and our audience. I mean, I think um, your kids are young. They're all in elementary school, correct? Yep. Yep. So to be that young, but to be that in tune, but though I think what you just said is really special uh, to be able to be there for other people or, you know, for them, kids, their, right. their classmates or their friends that are going through a similar situation. So talk about paying, playing, you know, paying it forward. Um, right. It's just really amazing. What is life like now? If we had that, you know, if we go back to how it's changed, you know, from, you know, going through this diagnosis the last, you know, 24 months and then now, because mm-hmm. now you are working, right? You you, yep. you are now back to work, which probably is so awesome. That was probably one of your happiest days, I'm sure. Yes. It was amazing to get to the point where I felt like I could go back to full-time work. I just, you know, 
kind of a milestone. I just now feel like I've kind of turned the corner where I don't think about it every day. It's not a, you know, I will never forget about it, and it's always a part of who I am and my story. But I don't feel like that it defines me or that it's my current story. And um, it's a good feeling because I I didn't know that this <laughs> that this day would come. And yet um, my perspective is different. I feel like I look at the person I was before and seems like a totally different person to me in a good way that what I've gone through has changed me in a good way. And I, at the time, couldn't think very far ahead. I wouldn't allow myself that, I don't believe. Um, so getting to this point where it's not a constant weight on my mind is an incredibly freeing feeling, um, but also to be able to help others through struggles, um, especially cancer, but anything I feel more equipped to be there for others and really provide some some uh, strength and wisdom to their situation. But to be able to go back to work full-time and, and resume kind of the new normal life has, has been beautiful. It's awesome. I love that. I love hearing that. And I love that, that, you know, being excited to go to work. I, I, you know, we could probably take a poll of the population in the United States and it probably would be weighted to one side of people who don't want to go to work every day, you know, and then there's the people that love what they do and just want to be at work. And it's just awesome to hear that. So thank you. What is your definition of pancreatic cancer? How do you define it? Oh boy. I haven't really thought about that. (laughs) Not Not from a scientific or technical standpoint, but if, if someone, you know, here we go, we're asking you, how do you define pancreatic cancer? What would you say? All I knew beforehand about pancreatic cancer was that it was the worst one you could get. That was all I knew about it was when you heard that it wasn't going to be good. And now my perspective is still, it's a terrible cancer, but there is hope and there are survivors. They aren't maybe as obvious as you as um, other situations, but I have heard from several that are survivors of 20 years or more. Mm-hmm. And um, I really hung on to that, that just because statistics are not good, um, the statistics aren't 0%. And I said, you know, there are survivors and it's possible. And so that's good. <laughs> and so it's a, a different, um, there's a lot of progress being made in it, but it is um, definitely full of hope. And, and there are people out there with support and with great stories. It's awesome. I, I just wrote down stats are not zero. And mm-hmm. I think that is so powerful. And I think what you just said, the hope and there are survivors, but the stats that are not zero and you know, people go to the internet and they see that statistic and the reality of that, but that's not zero. And there's no nope. reason why you can't be that one or that right. 9% you know, um, or whatever the number is in terms of survivorship, because yep. it's not zero. So yep. uh, that's, that's, I, I love that. And I just wrote that down. What advice, what advice would you give someone who, let's say, is in your shoes, they're in the same exact situation as you were in Christmas of 2016? What are some of the things that they should do? 
um, and what advice would you give them? Um, the first is to surround yourself with people that can help you and let them help you. Um, my dad was key in researching information to get me to the right place and the right doctors and and get help quickly. So he really helped sort that out because I was not in the time frame or in the mind frame to do that. So to find somebody that can really be your advocate in that area if that's not something you're able to do at that moment. Um, surround yourself with somebody that can feed your soul and your faith and keep you strong from that aspect. Work quickly, keep hope, and um, educate yourself as much as possible on what you're dealing with and um, surrounding yourself with, with positive information and, again, letting people help you. Awesome. So now we're going we're gonna to shift gears, and I've got uh, one really hard question for you. And this is usually we give this to all of our podcasts, most of our podcasts, okay. uh, guests. And uh, it might take a little bit of thinking here. What's okay. the greatest gift that you have either received or bought that has cost you the least? Okay, say that again. The biggest gift I have. The greatest gift that you've either received or bought. So someone could have given, you know, you could have received it or you could have bought it, but it has cost you the least. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just we, I love hearing people's response to this. And we've gotten everything from, you know, my wife, my husband to, you know, someone gave them a book um, when they were in mm -hmm. college. And it was just something that was really profound in their life. Well, my... My uh, hashtag, if you want to call it, <laughs> through um, through this was live love. And so I would have to say love because I realized through this, you know, a lot of times we think, what do people think of me or um, do I really matter and those kind of things. And I have never felt so loved in my life as I did this last year and by people I didn't even know. That would reach out to me and say they were praying for me. Um, people that I barely knew that would bring my family food um, to the medical staff taking care of me. I just felt constant love poured out on me. And to, to live life understanding that everyone is loved that much, you just don't always get to experience it. And I felt so blessed to get to experience that um, while living that that we truly are loved and most importantly by our savior, Jesus. So it was just, um, I would say love from God and others. That's great. And I will say for our audience listening at home, um, I saw that firsthand on your Facebook page uh, that we'll, we're going to mention here in a minute, but it was pretty impressive. And then, you know, being at the, the walks, the two years and just seeing friends and community rally, I think that's really special. And I've always said to people, Lana, maybe you can, this is a testament to what you just said. No one fights us alone. And you mentioned right. your dad. And I think there's no macho-ness in fighting cancer by yourself. No one gets an award, right? Like no one hands out right. awards at the end of the year saying, hey, congratulations, you fought cancer alone. You get the trophy. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, um, I've always said, and it's kind of where this has all come out of for Project Purple was just my personal experience with my dad and being there as the third person with my mom and my dad and just realizing yeah. 
everything that was going on and what we could do and or my vision of what we could do, I should say. But that's yeah. really critical, I think. So and I know we've said this on the podcast before. You know, we have a patient aid program. We do refer patients to major medical centers. We have connections. So if people are listening at home, um, you know, there's groups out there. There's other groups in our space that, you know, you can call 800 numbers and, you know, you can get on uh, information from various facilities. Um, so there's a lot of groups. You know, American Cancer Society has a great program as well. They do rides. They have housing, you know. So I, I think... No one should ever fight cancer alone, and you're not in this by yourself. You have survivors, right. you have networks, and you got to lean on friends and family. And I think the one thing is you got to ask, right? Because no one's yep. going to probably going to, I mean, people will offer, you know, when they find out, but unless you tell right. them of what's going on, um, you know, they're not going to just know, assume that you have cancer. Um, no one does that. But yeah. Right. No one should ever fight alone. And, and you know, it, it was pretty special, as I said, seeing all the posts. I remember following your journey from the first year when you got involved in the walk and we heard about you coming to the walk and the team. I think someone had emailed us as well from from your group and just was really special to see just everyone, you know, be there. Well, uh, for our audience at home, if they want to connect with you, and I just kind of apologize, gave a prelude to the Facebook page, but what's the best way for them to connect with you or follow your journey and, and everything that you've gone through and get some inspiration from? You bet. I, um, as I went through this, I decided to have a public Facebook page so that you know people could find information as we were going along and hopefully be inspired and also a way to look back. And it's called Lana's Prayer Warrior is the uh, public Facebook page. So Welcome to check that out if there's any information on there, or hopefully it can can give some inspiration and hope. But you can also send me a message to there if you have any specific questions or um, want some information. Awesome, awesome. Well, Lana, thank you so much for being our guest. I know it, it took us a while to get you on here, but clearly understandable. And uh, I will tell you this, I cannot wait to see you again. Um, we uh, we are doing the walk again in June. It's going to happen. Awesome. We actually are working with uh, the town, uh, excuse me, the city of Lincoln right now to facilitate and to confirm everything. But uh, I Great. can't wait to have you start us off again and recognize you as one of our survivors and our fighters and our warriors through this battle and this disease. And thank you for allowing us to share your story. And um, you know, I'm going to leave the audience with this, which was the most profound thing that. Uh, you said, which is stats are not zero. And I think for our listeners yep. at home, you know, that are maybe in your shoes as you were two years ago, that's really profound and pretty amazing to know that the stats are not zero. So have hope and don't ever give up. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and, and sharing messages of hope and having events for us to come to and um, meet other survivors. That, that was a huge boost for me when I needed it right before headed to surgery. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are part of what we have here at Project Purple and our family. So thank you for all the love and support. That's a wrap. Bye.